to the dinner table. It's Dinner Table Talks with me, Joe Hilliard. And Ace Lynn Campbell. It's going to be a busy evening tonight, love. I've got to go to the farmer's market, then make dinner. Then last night you said, hey, can you make a second dinner so that I can take it to impress a bunch of people? What I said was, could you double it up? And then once we started talking about doubling it up, I was like, well, you know what would be really cool is that if you just made like a roast for me to take with me, because I'm going out of town tomorrow morning for a five-day trip with my girlfriend. My birthday falls on the Friday of it this year, so it literally falls in the weekend of it. So we're leaving on Thursday and not even coming back till Monday. It's a little bit of shopping, a lot of chilling. The river is always amazing, no matter how cold it is, to do a little bit of meditating and just enjoying that time. The girls are some of my most favorite people in the whole world. We made a couple of jokes that y'all have heard of on this podcast. You've heard of the DWW crowd, the do what I want girls. Uh Well, that's pretty much this group of people. And the cheese and chocolate is kind of a thing, like... I could put cheese and chocolate on anything and Mm -hmm. eat it. We eat a lot of cheese and a lot of chocolate and usually a lot of bread. I'll be skipping the bread this year, but maybe I'll just dip my fingers in the cheese and chocolate and like swirl them around and just like stick it in my mouth and just have cheese and chocolate fingers in my mouth all the time. That sounds very odd. (laughs) Can you imagine that? I'm just sitting here thinking you named the episode already. We're like a couple minutes in. Cheese and chocolate fingers in my mouth. All right. Hey, goodbye, everybody. We'll see you next week. So I just got back from getting my hair all cut and styled again. You look gorgeous. And my hairdresser has totally become a friend these days. I'm just, we're, we're wanting to hang out together where she likes veggies. She likes to farm. We're kind of into the same thing, which is actually how I ended up with her as a hairdresser is because she was interested in Grow Local South Texas and the farm to table mo- movement and all of that kind of stuff. So we had a connection there. But she made me a drink today. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I don't get drinks at And apparently, as I learned place. when I went to go check out, that the drink she made for me, she only makes for, like, her special customers. You're a VIP. Oh, yeah. What was the drink? I don't even know. It was like, she did say it was a specialty drink. It was very sweet. I saw, I told her it was a headache in a cup if you drank, ah, an, uh, if you drank a couple of them. Sugar. But it had, like, frozen fruit in it, frozen berries, and it definitely had some liquor in it. I don't know what kind she didn't mention. And then it had um, some sherbet yeah. in it. Oh, it was so good. So she got me all loosened up for the podcast. So I told her, so I'll make sure to give you a shout out, Deidre, for the delicious loose me up drink you got for me. Have a good weekend. I'm assuming we'll hear all about it next week. I hope to tell you all the fun stories that are you appropriate for the stories. public and, public <laughs> dynamic. Unanswered questions. How did you feel uh, listening back to the Thanksgiving episode? I liked it. You had a lot of good things to say. Well, I care very much about Thanksgiving holiday. I think it's an important thing that we think about. And I also, I get a B in my bonnet, if anyone hadn't figured that out yet, about the value of health and our diet and how it relates. The the place of food within health. Yeah, and the value of people Mm -hmm. that produce food for us. I suppose the unanswered question here is something I gave thought to after editing and listening to the episode again, and that was, what's the real story? Right. I said that as we were listening to it to edit, and Mm -hmm. I was like, man, we need to look into kind of any of the stuff we talked about, especially as it relates to the cultural understanding of what actually happened. We live in this odd time, and I'm not saying that it's a bad time, of 
I guess, an increased responsibility toward the social... What I believe it is going on is that there is a very fast evolution and a devolution happening at the same time. And because of that, it makes us very aware that we need to carefully consider the cultural understandings of our history. Rather than just take for granted the story that we've been told. Well, now in the fake news world, you can't take for granted any story you've been told. That's true. It is true that in 1620, 102 passengers set sail from England on the Mayflower trying to get to the Hudson River. They landed in Cape Cod. The first winter that the new settlers were here was brutal, and most of the colonists remained on board the ship. And interestingly, only half of the Mayflower's original passengers lived to see the spring, the first New England spring. But when they came ashore, they were visited by an Abenaki Native American who greeted them in English, interestingly. And several days later, he did return with Squanto, a name that we've at least all heard in history class, who was a member of the Pawtuxet tribe who taught the settlers how to tap trees to get maple, mm-hmm. how to grow corn, uh-huh. how to catch fish in, in the yes, rivers. Yes, 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 that. And how to avoid poisonous plants. And in November of 1621, after their first corn harvest was successful, the governor at the time organized a celebratory feast and invited a group of the uh, Native American allies that they had made. So it was a harvest feast. That's exactly what it was. That was the first Thanksgiving. Now, where the lore and the reality diverge is the treatment that the new Americans finally did lay out to the Native Americans. And that's, we all know more or less, that that didn't go well for the Native Americans. And so today, a lot of Native Americans certainly deride the romanticized notion of Native Americans and new settlers coming together, although it did indeed happen. What they had on the menu at that first Thanksgiving is not well known. However, a guy named Edward Winslow, who was there, wrote a search party, two settlers, two Native Americans, brought back five deer, but historians have suggested that many of the dishes were likely prepared using traditional Native American spices and cooking methods. The president that made Thanksgiving a thing, Abraham Lincoln, toward the end of the Civil War said, let's give thanks that this is winding down. Let's give thanks and let's try to promote unity with a decree that we will have a thing. It wasn't called Thanksgiving quite yet. And in 1939, FDR moved Lincoln's date up a week and kind of made it official that that the fourth Thursday in November was Thanksgiving. I don't know if that answered any of our unanswered questions here. Did they talk at all about what were the some of the traditional feasts from the time of Abraham Lincoln? What were some of the traditional no, feasts? No, I was really looking into how it evolved into turkey being eaten by 90% of Americans on mm-hmm. Thanksgiving. Uh-huh. Where did we get green bean casserole? Where did we get cornbread Listen, stuffing? I think I those feel... are Southern traditions because I was in Thanksgiving with my folks on a trip in New York City and we ate Thanksgiving brunch at the World Awful Story Hall. You talked about this already. Oyster on... dressing. In 2020. Differences. All kinds of changes to what I knew Thanksgiving food to be. So you're right. Regionally, it's going to be different all over the country. I would love to dig into understanding when the shift went from home-cooked food to processed cans of stuff that you pour into bowls. I'm going to try to deliver that to you next week. I can almost guarantee you that it had something to do with the shift in industrial food system, which would have been in the late 50s. The only other unanswered question we had from last week was why is this notion out there that when you prepare lettuce for anything, you're not supposed to use a knife. You should only hand tear it. 
The frequent admonishment to never cut lettuce with a knife because it turns the cut edges brown faster than hand-torn leaves is a myth. Mm-hmm. And many cookbooks, older cookbooks, certainly still carry that statement that a knife may bruise the leaves. It has to do with a non-understanding of how cellularly lettuce works right. back when they came up with this idea. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is knife... Tearing, it's all good. Good. The, my thing is, is that like you don't need a knife to shred up some lettuce to throw it in a bowl. But if you're putting in cabbage and all the kind of stuff that I put in there, a knife works better. Go forward boldly. Yeah, go forward with what works well. <laughs> like do that one. You know, it doesn't work well for you. What doesn't work well for me? Delicious, delicious marinara style tomato sauces. Mm. You just don't like them and i love them and it's I've really had some good marinara sauce i just it's don't really like our that only problem in our whole relationship it's really the only sauce. thing we disagree on Re- the only thing yeah it's just like how much italian food style tomato sauces can we have in the house if you're gonna eat a tomato based sauce this is what i've learned i can make it more acceptable for you if it's a chunkier vegetable filled sauce that certainly is red from tomato but not and also meat. A soupy sauce. It's not even about that because one time you made like almost like a Pomodoro sauce, mm-hmm. which is like a real thin tomato. Yeah. That was good. It's that ketchup crap, that thick, heavy, ragu, goo, tomato, sweet. I don't like that. I find myself in the kitchen with one of two scenarios often. Number one, I have over-purchased something. And now it's going bad, so it's time to make a big batch of something. Or you, and right now we are in the middle of it, Mm -hmm. are bringing in so much produce that we can't possibly eat it all. Mm -hmm. I found myself that way with tomatoes the other day. I saw a beautiful bag of tomatoes at the farmer's market and Mm -hmm. picked it up. It was just so pretty. Mm -hmm. Got them here, knew I'd cut up at least one for a salad or two. Mm -hmm. Do you ever eat a tomato like you used to? Sometimes you'll slice them, put some salt and pepper, and eat a tomato. I'm doing this with spring tomatoes as they're starting to ripen on the vine and they're, yeah. Well, the first thing I said was screw it. I'm I'm making myself a delicious marinara sauce and Mm -hmm. Aislinn's just going to have to suffer through. And tomato is actually better for you when it's been cooked as opposed to a raw tomato. Especially for the guys. So I like the tomatoes cooked. And you said, whoa, 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 you're doing a tomato sauce? Can you add these 25 different vegetables to it? And I was happy, happy (laughs) to oblige. I merged two recipes to come up with a chunky tomato sauce over grain-free noodles for us the other night. Yes. Damn, it was good. It was very good. Ma'am, those poblano peppers that seem to have gone in a lot of everything yeah. from one of our local farmers mm-hmm. that's had a buttload of poblano peppers this year, they have really, really enhanced the flavor of some dishes. They are good. Well, we've got two bowls in our refrigerator. Mm-hmm. The sweet pepper bowl yep. and the hot pepper bowl. Yep. I work as hard as I can so that no produce in this house goes to waste however i also work under the mindset of out of sight out of mind Mm -hmm. so those two produce drawers at the bottom of the refrigerator can become disgusting messes because i just don't open them often enough to see what's at the bottom Mm -hmm. but the pepper bowls are usually on display i open up the refrigerator and i see peppers and i think to myself what am i preparing i got to put some peppers into it well, with a chunky, anything-goes vegetable tomato sauce like we made, you can just almost close your eyes and pick produce out of the refrigerator. It had eggplant in it. Yeah. 
And then I had cut off some broccoli rob leaves, mm -hmm. and I asked you to throw that in there. Mm -hmm. And it kale. had kale. Yep, always kale this time of year anyway. Carrots and, from the farmer's market. Yeah, and then, of course, those beautiful poblanos and probably some other bell peppers, too. Yeah, I kind of did a bunch of different sweet peppers in it. I think I threw an Anaheim in there. I mean, we just had some random some randos in that bowl. I've always got random peppers because I, I grow so many different types of peppers. Didn't have celery, called for celery, skipped the celery. I think there might have been one little summer squash that didn't have a home that you put in it. And then other than that, of course, it's onion, garlic. Fry that in oil for a little while, then add your vegetables. Then I did my meat over on the side, separate, with some uh, fresh herbs that you oh, created that with some Italian meat, seasoning. I, you had pre-cooked the meat? Right. I was picking out of that meat yeah. all day long. Some simple ground beef, yeah. It was so good. Thank like you. the flavor of the meat with all the fresh herbs in it was so good. Have you been using my pizza salt? I use your pizza salt. I use your poultry salt. You can go back. Have we talked about poultry salt? We talked no, about we pizza haven't. salt. The poultry salt is Keep fun. We should talk about that. Coming. Different flavored salts are just fun to play with in the kitchen. So yes, of course I use the pizza salt because it has an Italian herb profile. Excuse me, an Italian herb profile. <laughs> exactly. And I uh, used it liberally. In fact, um, I would just go back to it again and again. Because when I cook a tomato sauce like this, so it's going to cook for, uh, I don't know, an hour or so. I'm tasting every 10, 15 minutes. I'm bringing you in to taste it every 10, 15 minutes so that we can add a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I think I threw some red wine in this one. Mm. And uh, yeah, it was delicious. It was very, very, very good. I liked it a lot. Now, I want to backtrack to go the ahead. Yeah, I want to hear about your salt. poultry salt. So I've started this new kind of endeavor where I do kind of like an online local food market. I wouldn't call it exclusive, but it's definitely for people that value valuable produce and are willing to wait for when what I have is available. Is available. I call it Aislinn's Overflow of Abundance. Yeah. And I have begun creating these, you know, pizza salt and of course I'm selling radishes and kale and green beans and turnips whatever's coming out of the garden that we have excessively habanero peppers you know whatever well you got all excited one day because oftentimes we do have an overflow of chicken stock or whatever stock sure. beef stock you know whatever when I make a chicken we are gonna have a good gallon gallon and a half of broth when it's all over and done is it broth or stock we've had this whole conversation it is technically stock that's what I thought. Because I'm using the bones. So stock. Okay. So you said, okay, I just I've use got them interchangeably this. and they have definitions. Stock yeah. is the correct answer. You came in and you said, okay, I'm going to have a ton of overflow of stock, chicken mm -hmm. stock. Right. Do you want to sell no, you some should of it? Sell it? You should sell it. Yeah. This yeah. is, people want this. And I'm, I ran a farmer's market for 10 years. So I'm real particular about the idea that when you sell groceries to people, you want to try to follow the rules as if you're a grocery, all of that kind of stuff. And I do skim the rules. I do what I want. Let's be real. But I am cautious of the idea that people might not want to buy a processed meat item. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. I just don't know yet. Like maybe I'm not comfortable with it. Maybe I'll get more comfortable with it. Maybe I'll decide what's the, pro the right way to do it. There is a difference in sales, even to the point of legislation and policy that has to do with direct to consumer. So if you've ever heard that before, it's called direct consumer sales or direct consumer marketing. And what it means is like at a farmer's market or a festival or something like that, you, the producer of the food, you, the baker, you, the chef, you, whatever, are literally selling the product that you harvested, produced, 
to the customer that's going to consume it. And restaurants kind of tend to fall into this category of direct to consumer because you're selling it to the chef who's then preparing it and selling it directly to the customer. There is some wiggle room on those particular rules. I'm selling a product that I made in my home directly to someone that I know. And for me, they're actually coming to my front door to pick it up. So if there's a problem, the reason why the rules tend to be a little bit more lax about that, if there is a problem with something, if something makes someone sick, you know exactly where the sickness came from. You know exactly what the problem is, as opposed to the industrial system where it might have been shipped from China. Mm -hmm. Who knows mm -hmm. where it actually came from? Mm -hmm. It came in a truck. It got touched by 10 different people. It sat in, on a grocery store shelf. It got touched by 20 different people. There's just a different level of interaction with pathogens and different levels of, did it stay frozen solid the whole time? Yada, 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 right? And so we've got a government agency to determine that all of these rules have been followed. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. They do such a frigging good job. They're so great at it. I'm so the proud of- The government keeps us safe. Oh, the they do such a good job. We're so, I feel so safe. Thank you, government. And it's their job to get in between you and your neighbor <laughs> when y'all make a private transaction. No, it's not. If you're cooking something. As a matter of fact, I've had this conversation with people a few times about egg sales from your backyard because apparently you're not even supposed to give your eggs away. And someone always in our asks town me, with the code that's there, you're yeah. not supposed to sell them, whatever. And I, I get it. I kind of try to like, you know, follow the rules and encourage people to follow the rules. But that's one of those things that I'd be willing to take to the Texas legislature if it was really pushed, mm -hmm. because the Texas legislature is pretty easygoing about the idea that if you, even when it comes to raw milk, which we've talked about before, if you go to the farm and purchase the raw milk directly from the farmer, that's your legal right. You can do what you want, basically, between you and the person that's producing the food. Okay. All of that being set aside, the lesson that Aislinn loves to teach about food and all that, yada, yada, yada. I came up with this idea of trying out making, especially because in the past, I don't know, not that many episodes ago, we talked about bouillon. Mm -hmm. So basically, I made bouillon. I took your stock and fresh herbs and mixed it with the kosher salt in the food processor, chopped it all up, garlic, different types of herbs that match well with kind of the Thanksgiving feast concept, and did it the same way I did the pizza salt. And I basically made a flavored bouillon. Are you getting feedback? I haven't got any feedback, but I've sold it. Awesome. I made one for you, one for us, one for my parents, and then had three to sell, and I've sold two of the three. Your mom tried it yet? I don't know. I'd like to get some feedback on it. Yeah, I think curious. it tastes delicious. So anyways, I was really excited about that and I'm doing my kind of cooking, you know, preparing kale chips and we've talked about me making baba ganoush mm -hmm. and just the kinds of things that I make in the kitchen where it's just kind of taking my produce and making sure that it gets preserved in yeah. the way that it needs to be preserved and so that it gets used. I'm actually right now doing a whole bunch of storing of beans, green beans and things like that, wax beans, green beans, long beans, all of that and chopping them up and rinsing them and getting them all ready in freezer bags so that we'll have all you have to do is pull a bag of green beans out of the freezer and then make green bean casserole like you did for thanksgiving my daughter got back from florida yesterday picked her up at the airport and she wanted to go eat and i was happy to oblige and uh, anywhere you want to go so she wanted to go to pf chang's that's a chain asian food restaurant that we've got at our mall and we've eaten at P.F. Chang's a couple of times, and you really like one of their appetizers, some Asian-style garlic green beans, mm -hmm. and you said you should make those. Mm -hmm. So when you get back from your trip, and on a future episode of Dinner Table Talks, we're going to copycat some P.F. Chang's green beans 
that came out of your garden yesterday. I love it when we copycat something from a restaurant and it's better than the restaurant. Oh, is that my goal here? That happens often. Of course it's my goal. It should always be our goal. My dad said something over the Thanksgiving holiday about a dish being restaurant quality. And he Mm -hmm. meant that like it's the highest. I responded because this is the way I feel about it now. Oh, gosh, our food's better than restaurant quality at this point. (laughs) (laughs) And it's because, listen to this segue, we subscribe to a very specific set of ethics in our home when it comes to food and dinner table talking. Do we? I hope so, because we're about to do a whole segment on the Dinner Table Talks ethics. I'm about to call this meeting to order. You know what the best thing about ethics is? Talk to me. Breaking ethics. (laughs) Is it? We're critical of our leaders when they do that. I don't even pay attention to our leaders anymore. (laughs) Okay, before we call this meeting to order, and then we'll get into what exactly we're up to in case you're a new listener, you can go back to episode five and hear the last time that this committee got back into session. It is a committee of two. There should be some nice spirited debate as you and I pick our third ethic to apply to this show and maybe be an example for others to follow that they could uh, bring into their own lives and and enrich their lives to emulate us. All right, I'm ready. Let's do this. Why don't you call the meeting to order? I did it last time. All right, everyone. Everyone at the table. Come on, get attention, attention. This meeting is called to an order. There are two dinner table talks ethics that we have previously agreed on. I will repeat them for you now. Buy locally sourced food as often as possible. Yep, I do that. Plant some food. Uh Uh-huh. Now, there's two ways to be a healthier, happier person right there. But we're not done. Uh Uh-huh. As is our custom, we will bring two items to the table and debate them. Mm-hmm. Would you like to go first? I brought mine up last week. Go ahead. So I, I'm going to bring that one back to the table again. Okay. I think that food is art. And I think that any Cooking is art or food is art? Food is art. And how we prepare the plate and how we serve our food. I mean, you all have heard this before. Plate should be all the colors of the rainbow. You eat, and You eat with your eyes. You eat with your eyes. And even some of those information you've seen about how... You know, the walnut that looks like a brain helps your brain and the, you know, whatever, the blue iris of the blah, blah, blah is radishes are good for that. I don't know. There's just different things uh, that you should eat because of the way they look that actually are helpful to your body, the colors and all of that. And as a gardener, I've learned that the different colored fruits and vegetables all have different types of nutrients and microbiotics and all different kinds of things like that. So the more colors you eat, the better it actually is for you. But it's also so beautiful that it makes you appreciate your food so much better. You know, as opposed to an entire meal of brown gloppy foods, which now I've eaten some pretty dang good brown gloppy foods. You know, Indian food tends to be a little bit brown and gloppy. Yeah. Although I would like to actually see more Indian food made by Indians for Indians rather than by Indians for Americans. Sure. Since we like gravy and gloppy, and so they take their food and make it as American as they possibly can. How do we do that? How do we do that? I don't know the answer to that question. Can we just continue going to Indian food restaurants when we go out of town? Uh, Yeah, I guess so. Mm -hmm. And just looking at how... I mean, I, I can tell you that I've seen... At some of the better Indian food restaurants, I've seen a rainbow of colors where the food didn't look like a big gloppy mess to me. Like I maybe have seen it in the buffet line. I'm thinking of a South Asian mutual friend of ours right now. 
Mm-hmm. He's a doctor. Mm-hmm. We should ask them to cook for us. Maybe. They have a new baby. I don't want to eat the baby. <laughs> I know. Just a lot of life in their life. And they're, I'm sure, very cautious about the pandemic. Well, here's my first one. I brought it up last time. And in the shadow of last week's conversation about processed food versus the food that we created for Thanksgiving, I'm going to say it again. Eat real food as often as possible. It comes up on this show at least once every week. Real food as often as possible. You're right. Real food. If we're laying down the bedrock of the Constitution of this show, (laughs) that better be up there. I expect this to be a landslide victory. It's pretty good. I think real real food is probably the one that goes on the list next because one of the things I've been thinking about a lot lately, there is a movement and a push towards veganism and vegetarianism for our youth, and my daughter is a part of that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you're saying that's wider than just your daughter, that the, her generation is actively talking well, about this? Absolutely. And I not wasn't a, aware of that. Yeah, absolutely. And not only that, it's bigger. It's much bigger. In fact, in... Texas, we're just different than the rest of the states in this particular thing. And part of that is because one of our biggest agricultural commodities here is beef. Cattle, yeah. Because of that, we eat a lot more... We eat a lot more meat here than it, it, it's actually odd for someone to be vegan and vegetarian here, whereas in other places. Well, so what's happening with that is that there is a lot of not real food being eaten. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying I don't support the values and the the model of being a healthy vegan, a healthy vegetarian, eating the most real delicious foods that you can eat. What I have a problem with is a substituting fake food to match the old fake sure. food that we ate before, which is even more fake than it was when it had meat in it. Okay, let me clarify. Are you saying that a vegan would be more likely to eat a box of crackers? That's not real food, not real food? Or are you talking about some of these meat substitutes that I'm seeing in the grocery store a lot? I'm going to name some names because I don't know anything about them. Gardein. There was a veggie burger forever. What was that famous veggie burger that you get in the freezer section that everyone got know. the same one? Yeah. Um, they had a Super Bowl ad one yeah, year. Yeah, and then like the deal. different types of cheeses and things. And I don't have a problem with vegan food. As a matter of fact, there's a vendor at the farmer's market that sells vegan foods. Sure. And I actually go over and buy something from her every week. Oh, we bought some a half a wheel of cheese from yeah. her. Vegan cheese. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And But it's not just vegan It's whole food, real food that is also vegan. And so I think that for me, having the conversation about real food is an important conversation because if we've got teenagers that have decided that for, I don't know, social justice warrior mindset or whatever the reason is that they've decided, oh, I'm going to be a vegetarian or I'm going to be a vegan or, and I remember what it was like to be that age. I remember what it was like to be into these new concepts and want to be the one that leads the way and try these new things out and everything like that. But if you're not eating good quality food and you're trying to be vegan, are you shortchanging you're, it? You're going to be sick when it comes down to it. You're going to mm-hmm. end up with autoimmune diseases and you're going to end up with issues with your periods, girls, and you're going to, you know, all of these other things are going to come with it. So my theory is choose to eat whatever you want to eat. If you choose to be a, I would consider myself what they call a flexitarian, which means I do eat meat, but I only eat clean meat from local farmers that I know. Now, every once in a while, like 
Thanksgiving, we talked about purchasing from ButcherBox, the turkey. Yeah. You know, so there's an occasion every once in a while where I'll let it slip through a little bit on a larger scale type of situation like that. But generally speaking, the meat that I eat comes from my local farmers that I know I could drive up on their property if I called them today and see where they're raising things and how they're doing it. And I know the butchers that they're using. I know the processing facilities that they're using in Texas. I know them. I've been there. I, I know what that looks like. So that's a flexitarian, right? And then there's like a pescatarian sure. and there's all these different types of things. I think those are all great. And I think people should make choices to do them however they choose. In fact, if you don't want to eat real food, don't eat real food, but know what you're doing to yourself. Okay. So I think that you're backing up my incredible contribution to this conversation right now by saying no matter your walk in life when it comes to the relationship that you've built with food, pescatarian, omnivore, flexitarian, vegan, vegetarian, eat real food as often as possible. Eat real food. Yep. Do you even want, I, it feels like we're at an agreement here that we'll put food is art into the maybe next time category and go with my superior, incredible suggestion. Okay. Do you want to bang the gavel uh, at my incredible suggestion or should I do it? I love the, the, the superior part. You, you always think you're so superior. You need to listen to episode five, the last time we chose a dinner table talk ethic, because uh, someone was the filibuster. But I am there. superior. Okay, I'm going to call this meeting concluded. Eat real food as often as possible. Goes into that one about uh, don't get your food where you buy your gas. Oh, I just don't eat anything that's not real food. Do I eat anything? Is there anything? Oh, you, you did bring... You did bring... You, you processed food. Crackers, are, that's real food. See... Processed isn't not real food. Uh oh. Uh, maybe I need a clarification on my own item here. If you look at the back of a box of crackers, even the healthiest, well, no, I think it's an organic product. If you can look at the back of a box of anything and, and, you, it's, recognize and you can see five ingredients and you know all five of the ingredients, you're eating real food. You're eating real food. It just got cooked or prepared and processed. Got it. Okay. We, we've had this conversation of the spectrum of the carrot, right? This is simple. You've got on one end someone that pulls a carrot out of the dirt, shakes the sand off of it, and bites into it. That's right? real food. Then on the other end of the spectrum, you have someone that has pureed and added some ingredient I don't even know because I've been so far away from the fake ingredients for so long. Mm -hmm. And then like turns it into, this is a great example of what I'm talking about as it relates to kind of the vegan concept. There's one item that's real food in the ingredient list. And then everything else is a list of Zorbitol and Zygamam and Begabedegub and Jabba Jabba Dubbies and Zamazamadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabadabad
steak, baked potato, all the trimmings, all of it. And I, I wanted to incorporate her into these conversations a little more often because mm-hmm. I feel like if she has ownership over the choices, then she won't balk at the choices as often. So it was like when I knew that there was a f- meal coming up tonight, I brought her in last night to say, hey, I'm thinking of doing steaks. How do you feel about that? Oh, I love steaks. I'm thinking about maybe, maybe doing some um, green beans again because look at all the green beans that Aislinn's currently cutting up for us to do that with. Sounds great. Sounds great. I think I'm doing mashed potatoes. And she goes, mashed potatoes? I said, yeah, mashed potatoes. She goes, I love your mashed potatoes. I left out the turnip part. Right. That's okay. Yeah. That's a that's an omission. Is that a lie? I don't know. When it when it comes to a kid that 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 loves something and then the moment she knows that it's got something in it that she doesn't She's like, decided that I yeah. 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 But I think that it's funny because now we've gotten to the fourth child who is noticing that there is a difference between our food yeah. and other people's food. It is it is it is happening, isn't it? It absolutely is. The fourth one yeah. now. And she held all... out the longest. Yes. Oh, gosh. Yeah. How, yeah. Do you, how do you argue with your own biology and the way that things make you feel? What has happened over the years is that they all have special requests. And Lily is the, well, Lily's the kid that's still around that isn't here all the time. So she goes to her dad's house every other, every, every other weekend and every other couple of days a week. So now she's gotten to the point where she'll say, there's a thing I want. I want tortilla soup. Mm-hmm. Will you make tortilla soup for me? Mm-hmm. So you have to get it on her rotation and your rotation. And you also record another podcast on one of the nights she's here. Yeah. So you went ahead and made her special requested tortilla soup this last week. I never made tortilla soup before that I can remember. It was pretty good. It was tasty. I do like tortilla soup. I can eat tortilla soup at home. Whereas opposed to other places that have tortillas in them that I'm not going to eat, we could crunch up my grain-free tortillas or grain-free chips into it. So this is one of those meals and also the chicken that I wouldn't eat at a restaurant that I wouldn't get to eat anywhere else. So I was pretty excited about it. I just like brothier, kind of a clear brothy soup more than a thick gravy-ish type soup. Now I like purees, like a tomato bisque or a well, this is a brothy soup. What this recipe did was take crumbled tortilla chips and you actually put them into the soup. Mm-hmm. And that's the thickening agent. Well, I think that most people probably do a little bit of that. They it was might the... use corn tortilla to do that same thing. That's the tortilla in the tortilla soup, of course. Right. Um, but also the cheese. Like, I didn't like the cheese in it. Yeah, that this part... recipe called to throw some cheese in the soup, which sounded interesting to me, but I agree with you. Mm-hmm. I, I, I cheese would on like top. To try, totally. I would yes. like to try another recipe and do mm-hmm. tortilla soup in the not-too-distant future. Okay, so tell me how you made it. Well, it's got your oil, of course, and your onions and your garlic and your cilantro fresh in that oil. Then you add, if you're doing your chicken in the soup raw, I don't do it that way. Mm-hmm. Then you put your chicken in and you cook it as you cook it. I added cooked chicken later in the steps. So did you use some of your chicken bone broth? Of course. Mm. Of course. So it's, I've got gallons in the freezer on hand at any mm-hmm. moment. I used, uh, this was a smaller portion, so about four or five cups of my own chicken stock. And then I used a can, I did, organic though, of fire-roasted diced tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Simply pour that in, then it's your spice profile, cumin, your taco spice profile, mm-hmm. cumin, chili powder, cayenne pepper, a couple of bay leaves, thinly sliced carrots. I, of course, added some of our kale that you had grown mm-hmm. and some spinach that I had at the farmer's market. Nice. I roll it up and just thinly chop it and then threw it in 
after everything was done, turned mm-hmm. off the heat, put the lid on, and I wasn't going to eat for a while. Mm-hmm. Lily wasn't going to be here for a while. Right. I'm wilting the greens at the end without fire. It's just the heat of the of the soup that was in there. It came out pretty well on the side. I'm going to put some uh, diced avocado, some cheese, and some more cilantro so you can sprinkle on top to make a good Instagram photo. Yeah, so whenever I went over to get myself stirred up some and pour it in, because I didn't eat right and you had already left, and I actually went and added some water to Yeah, I, know what I, I would have suggested to you to add some because... broth, and the recipe even said that as you cook it, you might need to add a little more water or broth if, yeah. you, if it's, if it it's cooked down a little bit. It was way too thick. I knew and that you'd be able to finish could, it off without Yeah, me. I could tell even just by looking at the pot that it was like, all the chunky ingredients and there wasn't enough broth in okay, there. Okay, well, I'm going to try again soon when I'm not leaving, jetting out the door and I can But I ate all of it. Recipe. I mean, I ate it two or three times. Because yeah. soup is one of those things that I can eat and eat and eat. I mean, come home in the... Especially with this weather. Well, yeah, definitely. And then with the intermittent fasting, the way I do it and coming home and I eat it about, well, <laughs> ideally I eat at two o'clock, but usually it's three or four o'clock before mm-hmm. I finally actually get to eating. But I eat before everyone else eats, and soup is a really good, quick way for me to just throw a... We don't have a microwave. I don't know if we've mentioned that on the podcast before, but we don't have a microwave, so everything we do is either the oven in a glass container that we reheat, or it's in a pot on the stove. So a real quick, easy way to heat something up, soup, pot on the stove. I do that pretty regularly. What are the top few soups I've never made that you'd like to see me try? That you've never made. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Uh, maybe Have I like ever some... made a gazpacho? Have I ever made a mulligatani? Have I ever made a... I don't know. I mean, I've made mulligatani and gazpacho. Mm-hmm. I love gazpacho, by yeah, the way. Yeah, I know you do. When it's made well. Yeah. And... What soups would you like, like to see on a higher rotation? Because I do before. chicken noodle probably too often. That's my favorite. No, right. you can never do chicken noodle too often, especially yeah. not in the winter don't, time. Don't test me. Not in the winter time. It, I, it's one of my favorites. It's all of our favorites. I mean, like, yeah. everybody likes chicken noodle soup. Sure. I think we do a pretty good job because we have so much seasonal produce yeah. that you have to come up with things. So, like, I love cucumber soup. I don't think you've found the right recipe yet. I but I cucumber love dill cucumber cold. soup. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And I love vegetable beef soup. I mean, pretty much any brothy soup. I love creamed soup. So, I love when you make the potato leek. I love any kind of, like... Be sure to wash those leeks out real yeah. <laughs> Squash, you know, pureed squash soup. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't hate it. No, well, most of the kids would hate it. But I would love it if you'd just make uh, some cream of mushroom soup. I love cream of mushroom soup. I like soup. cream of celery soup a lot too. Yeah, like that kind of stuff. Well, I do we've like got our, we're in our six-week period of cool weather here for the entire year. So I might want to cram a bunch of soups in over the next little it while. It might be eight weeks. <laughs> it started already. Never know. Never we know. had a freeze the other day here after all this warm, warm weather that actually frost that kind of knocked my green beans and my tomatoes and mm-hmm. everything back a bit. And everybody was asking me about it. And I was like, well, it's expected. My green beans got knocked back, but I don't think hard enough to like kill them. Deidre, my hairdresser, I had taken- Sherbert Pusher. Yes, exactly. I took a little, uh, she wanted some of my produce and I brought her over some produce. We did a little- not a trade exactly, but she discounted it from my hair, mm-hmm. my hair cost. And well, she asked me, oh, I should have had you bring me some flowers. And I was like, I don't have any flowers right now. She's like, what happened? And I said, they froze. 
Oh my gosh, I didn't even think about that. I'm like, yep. Well, there's certain flowers that grow in the wintertime, the ones, the edible flowers, the pansies. Because I made, well, you guys, we talked about it in the in the show last week, this this most beautiful salad with all of this. Food is art. Right, exactly. Oh crap, we should go back. <laughs> anyway, she wanted flowers. The flowers have frozen. That's where we are. The tomatoes haven't frozen, like the vines and the plants in a freeze, which is good. But it knocks me back because all the tomatoes that were on were either picked or frozen. So now I have to start all over again with new yellow flowers. And then, shit, you might, we're in that time of year, even if it's only six weeks, where we might not get any tomatoes if it freezes again, you know, until spring. So it's what it is. Because I got so many tomatoes this time of year last year because it never froze. Of course, that was here at the house, not at the farm. So we may still see some tomatoes. I love watching you enjoy your life. I love my life. And now it's time for Table Topics. Table Topics, the weekly part of the show, which signifies that we're coming to a conclusion here at the dinner table. It's time to go wash all these dishes. That's a question I pulled from a box that neither one of us have seen. Before this moment, what would... Last week was really good. It was. (laughs) Let's make this week even better. What would be a good addition to the human body? Huh. What would be a good addition to the... We have two legs, we have two arms, we have ten fingers, ten toes, one head, two eyes, one nose, sexual organs, a butthole. What would be a good addition well, to the The two human things body? that are coming to my mind are either a tail that I can kind of lean back on so that when I'm working or whatever, I've got three things on the ground instead of two. That just helps with some of the like weight balance support. But because I ran over my leg with a riding lawnmower and have a little bit of... My 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 grounding isn't as good as other people's are, You're and I do a lot a of work. Subjective thing. Yeah, that's probably why the tail comes to mind, like a kangaroo tail. You know how a kangaroo's tail is like a third leg, basically. But then the other thing is a mother that comes to every mother's ma- uh, mind. Could I guess it? Yes. As a mother. Yeah. Like a purse, like a diaper bag that's built into your body. No. Oh, okay, let me think. A mother. It's got to be like, are you talking about breastfeeding somehow? No. Okay. Well, you say, no, I'm not a mother. So it's not going to come completely to my mind easily. I can tell you what we need is a father. Every mother that's listening is screaming out, arms, extra arms. Oh, we need more arms. I need an extra pair. Like an extra pair would be If you had a third arm, would you say in the question, I need a fourth arm. You need need pairs. You need pairs. We need four arms. Dr. Octopus. Yeah, we do. We do. I'm telling you right now, if I had another pair of arms and a tail, I would be the best farmer that ever existed. Mm-hmm. Of course, there would be other farmers that would be like me too, I suppose. But still, moms and farmers, we need extra appendages to help us like get our work done faster. If I was going to amend the current human body, I would suggest that our human waste, the number two area, not be so gross. Like, the human body can be beautiful. Think about the most beautiful man or woman that leaps to mind for you. I'm thinking it's going to be Angelina Jolie and Johnny Depp. Am I close? Even those beautiful people have stink that is created by themselves. And to me, it's such a weird function That's an insecurity, though, to even think of that. You think? Yes. That's not like a functionable. That's like, I'm insecure about my stinky butthole. I know. I think it's weird. (laughs) Because I'm not, I never would I can see my elbow getting dirty and stinking, but my elbow does not create stink. And to me that we have a function that creates stink is bizarre. 
It's a design flaw, in my opinion. What is the purpose of it? The purpose of it is that... Not the, not the pheromones of BO, which may in some level like get people excited and procreate because well, of that, but, but the butthole and the a, stinky there poo... Is a, is, is re- it, no, there's a reason why poo stinks. So we don't eat our own shit that could make us sick. Okay, but, that, but, but poison ivy doesn't stink, and we as humans can learn to avoid it. So the first humans got to go because they ate their own poop. You wouldn't learn to avoid poison oak if it didn't, if you weren't allergic to it and it stung you and made you sick. I'm not insecure about that. My shit doesn't stink so bad that I'm worried about it. You know why? Because I eat real food. (laughs) Cheese and chocolate fingers in my mouth. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Dinner Table Talks. We will be back next Monday with a fresh episode. In the meantime... Hit us up on social media, send us an email, DM us, whatever. We want to hear from you. And we hope that you're enjoying the episodes as much as we enjoy creating them for you. 